Copycat, let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19. All new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moment to the Brian Kilmeade Show. I hope you had a fantastic weekend. We're back in action today. Jackie Heinrich will be joining us shortly. She's over uh, at Windsor's Castle with the President of the United States meeting with King Charles. They're going to talk about climate change and how expensive it is. Burgess Owens at the bottom of the hour, member of the uh, Judiciary and House Education Committee and Labor Committees, too. And the congressman from Utah is focused on a lot of the investigations that are taking place and a lot of the uh, a lot of the spending that has to take place in July. It's got to be green lighted. The government isn't funded cutoffs in, in the middle of September. So before we get to Jackie, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You have a two-cap misdemeanor uh, tax plea that should not have taken all the time that it did. So either David Weiss is incompetent in taking five years to do that, or he's not telling the truth and Merrick Garland's not telling the truth. Uh, Here you go. Hunting for Hunter, digging for Joe. The GOP is showing a relentless pursuit for the truth with Hunter and finding a money trail around the globe. But does it lead to Rehoboth and the man that uh, owns the Corvette in that garage of his? The Bidens don't believe it, but I think we will find out. Number two. This is a war relating to munitions and uh, the running out of those that ammunition. And we're low on it. Took the recommendation of the Defense Department to allow for in this transition period where we get more 155 these shells for the Ukrainians. Oops. Uh, did you just say that? Ukraine, NATO, and China. Biden is trying to tackle our greatest challenges and is already fa- failing spectacularly. Uh, what he just said was so ridiculously wrong, uh, but it is not saying it is wrong in its facts, but wrong in its revelation. It all works against American security. We'll talk about it. Number one. I think we've all understand the personal challenge and, and, and concern and all of these things that the that the that the president has here. But I mean, it is no doubt every day DeSantis or, or, or Trump tries to use Hunter to beat up Biden. This is unbelievable. Yeah. Even The New York Times and CNN show they have huge doubts about President Biden's age and character. As Maureen Dowd writes what we have been saying all along. How could he be a family man, talk about family values, and disown his seventh grandchild? And that's in a New York Times columnist. Plus, why DeSantis' challenge has yet to get traction, uh, because he's about 30 points off and hasn't really grown since he's gotten in. 
But Jackie Heinrich not worried about politics. She's worried about the president, uh, who is sitting down with the king today en route to Lithuania for a NATO summit. Hey, Jackie, so how would you characterize the trip so far? Well, uh, you know, Brian, it's been pretty fast. I mean, the president just had his first meeting at 10 Downing Street with the U.K. prime minister this morning. He's uh, speaking to King Charles this morning. And then he heads off to Lithuania, where the meat of this trip will unfold. We're actually leapfrogging ahead of him. So I'm talking to you from a a van en route to our charter flight so we can be on the ground uh, when the president arrives. But he's got, you know, a lot of work ahead in in terms of what this NATO summit wants to accomplish, especially after Turkey this morning threw a wrench into his plan to push them to let Sweden into the alliance. You know better than anyone that uh, Biden's big message has been how NATO has to stay aligned. And we've been butting heads with, you know, Turkey over their blockade of Sweden into the alliance as long as, you know, until now over the Kurds. But now they're saying that they want to tie it to EU membership. So complicating Biden's trip quite a bit. So in other words, they now Turkey wants to be part of the EU and they're not because I thought they changed their mind about that. Yeah, so they've been stalled basically for close to 50 years. Um, They were, you know, placed on a track, but then there have been concerns about judicial independence, uh, obviously human rights concerns. And the EU commissioner spokesperson said this morning, look, you can't tie, you know, the separate track of uh, Sweden's NATO membership to Turkey's admission to the EU. They've set out these benchmarks that uh, Turkey has to meet. And until they meet them, you know, it's wrong to tie the two together. So they're putting a hard pass on Turkey's bid. But This phone call that Biden just had on his way to uh, England was with the Turkish uh, president. He called him from Air Force One, and we got a readout from that call. It didn't really have a lot in it, and we now know why, because the Turkish president went out on camera shortly afterward and said, this is what I want. Uh, We didn't hear that from the White House, and he has yet to answer questions about it. So I'm sure that those are going to be some of the things that are posed to him if the press can ever get close enough when he leaves the Capitol. Uh, yeah, that's kind of interesting. This story in Axios today, I don't know what you hear behind the scenes, but it's kind of anecdotal. They call him Old Yeller, uh, sarcastically. Evidently, behind the scenes, he comes off in front of the camera as his, you know, I see him erupt. I, we all see the eruptions. But they, he likes to portray himself as an uncle, the friendly guy who brings stability. But behind the scenes, he evidently is a yeller. Uh, one of the quotes is, God damn it, how can you be effing, so, don't, how can you effing not know this? Don't effing BS me. Uh, Get out of here. This is some of the phrases heard around the White House uh, when people, what he claims, don't do their job. Have you heard he's got a quick trigger? Well, I I mean, I've been on the receiving end of it. So has my colleague Peter Ducey. He called him a stupid son of a bitch. And he said uh, to me when I asked, uh, you know, why are you waiting to place sanctions on Russia uh, before they invade? Why should you do preemptive sanctions? He called that a stupid question. I think anyone would look in, you know, the rearview mirror and say, hey, maybe we should have because all these sanctions that came after the fact didn't, you know, move the needle at all. But we've seen his Irish temper at the White House, uh, certainly the Fox News team. I I should note, though, you know, the president did call Peter after he uh, used that language with him and he apologized. I didn't get a call, though. You you have not. All right. I I would be surprised. I guess it's not coming. I guess we can close the door on that. Um, In in terms of the president giving interviews, he almost gives none of them. And then he sat down with Fried Zakaria, a a very friendly face. They always evidently they talk a lot behind the scenes. And this was the exchange about when asked 
about what's going on with the cluster bombs that he has green-lighted for, to be delivered to Ukraine. Let's listen. This is a war relating to munitions and uh, the running out of those, that ammunition, and we're low on it. And so what I finally did, took the recommendation of the Defense Department to not permanently, but to allow for in this transition period where we get more 155 weapons, the shells for the Ukrainians. So he did it because we're running out of it. And then Admiral Kirby basically said the same thing on ABC to Martha Raddatz. Are we really we're that low on ammunition? And do you think it was wise for the president to say that? Well, the, the White House did have to respond to this because they got some blowback for revealing, you know, military information that a lot of the president's critics said, you know, calls into question the U.S. readiness to defend itself and questions of whether we should continue to be supporting uh, the Ukrainians in this war to the level that we've been doing. The White House said, look, that is not a concern. You know, we have separate um, allotments for, you know, provisions that we're providing to Ukraine. Um, you don't have to worry about the U.S. readiness to defend itself. But they did have to explain that. And it's interesting, this whole cluster bomb um, package that they're giving them, they had some work to do when they made that announcement. Because if you recall, in February of 2022, when Russia started using them in Ukraine, Jen Psaki told me that Russia's use of cluster bombs could be a war crime. Um, And we had to explain why giving them to Ukraine would not be. And I think the White House did a pretty effective job of laying that out. They said, you know, Ukrainians want to use these bombs on their own land, which is going to have to be demined anyway, because the Russians have already been using them for the last year and a half. And also, you know, the concern with cluster bombs is that you can leave unexploded bomblets, which pose a future risk to civilians. Uh, for one thing, the area where they're using these are trying to punch through these two trenches and, you know, continue their counteroffensive. There are not civilians out there. Um, but also, you know, Ukraine has committed to uh, a post-war cleanup. They've got every incentive to make sure that their own people don't come in contact with them later. Um, and so they said, look, we're, we're going to provide a, a batch of these. But it puts us at odds with at least four NATO allies. Uh, the U.K., Canada, Germany, and Spain all immediately voiced their opposition to this move. And you had a number of congressional Democrats also saying that this could greenlight, you know, other countries to change their position on them. Um, there's an international ban on them. We're not a signatory to that agreement, but uh, this could potentially move other countries away from that. And also you had uh, Barbara Lee from California saying that we risk you know, sacrificing our our moral high ground on it, basically. Um, But Republicans, notably, including Mike McCall, said we should be doing this. One of the issues that this war has has been a constant in this war is the U.S. not providing the arms that uh, the Ukrainians need at the rate that they need them. And that has drawn out this entire process. Well, it has. I mean, we're still we're now going to begin to train them on uh, Ukrainians on F-15 uh, on F-15 fighter jets, they we're not going to give them. We're just going to greenlight our allies to give them. I mean, by the time we get it, the counteroffensive will be over. They'll be buttoning down, buckling down for winter. It's just so bizarre, the timeline here. I mean, it's you could tell the Ukrainians are really frustrated by it because they eventually get what they need. But how many people die waiting? That's the point they've been making for so long. I mean, you heard the Ukrainians over a year ago calling to close the skies, close the skies. You have to give us some sort of fighter jet. Um, they were asking for MiGs for the longest time. And we were, you know, blocking that, opposing that. 
because we've been concerned that it would be seen as provoking Russia. And, you know, you've had a number of critics saying that that cannot be how you prosecute this war. You're supposed to prosecute a war to win it. And we're, we're helping the Ukrainians only enough that they can survive, not that they can win. That's been the criticism of the administration so far. But I would also note, to be fair to the administration, you know, the rest of the NATO alliance needs the U.S. to lead it. And a lot of our allies have been hesitant to make um, you know, more generous or more significant um, commitments to Ukraine until the U.S. takes that first step. So I think the president has been wary of inflaming uh, tensions with Russia and their ongoing false claim that this is really a war with the West and a war with NATO, uh, and also cognizant of the fact that the U.S. is leading the world in this charge. Jackie, so nice of you to join us from the van and route to your charter flight and route to Lithuania. Uh, I appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Brian. You got it. And America appreciates it. one 408 So we gave you the absolute latest from the uh, from the pre- with the president's traveling press party. Uh, next, your calls. And then bottom of the hour, Congressman Burgess Owens. A lot of work to be done right now with a lot of spending plans that can or cannot be passed. Burgess Owens joins us at the bottom of the hour. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. You've often said when people ask you about your age, uh, just watch me. And I think a lot of people do watch you and are impressed, and they think you've been a great president. Uh, You've brought the economy back. Uh, You've restored relations with the world. But many of these people do say, and these are ardent supporters of yours, the next thing he should do is step aside and let another generation of Democrats take the baton. Why are they wrong? Wow. So it was the hardest question that Fareed ever had to ask. You've been a great president. I've never heard that. Um, That's why his approval rating is 38 to 40 percent. But maybe Democrats are happy with him. I think 65 percent approval with Democrats. For Republicans, I think that even Trump during his worst times had 89 percent. So I I really don't see the energy there. I don't see the meetings, the interviews, the leadership. He thinks there's been some bipartisan things. It all came through the Senate. But here's his answer. Cut one. Well, let me not right or wrong. It's, uh, look, 
to use the phrase again, I think we're at an inflection point. I think the world is changing, and I think I, uh, there is one thing that comes with age, if you've been honest about it your whole life, and that is some wisdom. I think we're on the cusp of being able to make significant positive changes in the world. Really, honest to God, do. Okay. I, 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 then he goes on, and shall I let him? Yeah, I'll let, I'll let you hear a little of his foreign policy, but it's just so painful to hear him speak. Cut to. You see what we've done in Europe. Europe's more united than it's ever been since World War II, end of World War II. You see what we've been able to do in the, in the Indian Ocean and the South China Sea. We've united that part of the world, including the 50, basically 50 island nations. that are Okay, a couple of things. Let's look at that. What has he done in Europe? What he's done is the thing that has united NATO is the invasion by Russia and the Ukraine. First invasion since the 1940s in Europe. We haven't seen that. Of course, if NATO is going to unite around it, of course, they're going to worry about their own security. Of course, Estonia, Lithuania, Poland in particular, Georgia that's been invaded. If they didn't respond to that, even with or without NATO, it'd be crazy. I don't know how the president's going to take credit for that, but he is. But if you want the president to actually get a lot of credit, he would have stopped the invasion specifically. And as much as the allies have given, they should be given a whole lot more and a whole lot quicker. And they're taking their time. Also, Nord Stream 2, he had green-lighted it. Now it took the invasion to stop it, and now Nord Stream 1 is blown up. He has not taken the opportunity to be the provider of natural gas. And please tell me, when you watch French President Macron go over to China and say, I'm not going to take a side when it comes to U.S. and China rivalries and relations, are you kidding me? Is that uniting the continent? I mean, that, to me, is not a reason to take a bow. In the South China Sea, have you done anything to deconflict? We watch destroyers be cut off. You do nothing. We watch our fighter jets uh, be harassed. You've done nothing. And before that, they have already – was done before that with uh, Japan, South Korea, Australia, and India, natural enemies now of China. They have been united prior to him getting there, and to his credit, he hasn't broken them up. But please tell me the strength he's shown and how our defense has exi- has has grown under him. It was the previous president that flooded in money, and it's this one that provides budgets that don't even equal inflation. Let's listen more. That is going to make things significantly, how can I say it, uh, more secure for people. Uh, we're uniting democracies, have the possibility of uniting democracies in a way that hadn't happened ever. Um, and so I, I think that whether it's the Far East, whether it's NATO, whether it's uh, Europe, whether it's what's going on in Africa, I think we have enormous opportunities. And, a, uh, and I think I, I just want to finish the job. Please. That's all we need is you to finish the job. Please tell me how Central and South America is going. Please tell me how Cuba is going. As it's been confirmed, there are spy stations and there's a military base possibly being built up in Cuba right next to Gitmo by China. Please tell me how that makes the world a better place and a safer place. I, I'm just I'm befuddled by what he did. And also, as I brought up, for him to sit down and tell Fareed Zakaria without any qualms that we're running out of personal material, uh, ammunition to give to Ukraine. That's why we're using cluster bombs. And Byron York put out in a CNN interview, put that in a tweet. 
President Biden is not particularly clear, but seems to be saying that the U.S. is sending cluster munitions to Ukraine because we are running out of 155 millimeter artillery ammunition to send them. Seems obvious this is affecting U.S. readiness to defend itself. Will hurt his sales to the rest of the country and to Republicans that it's not in our interest any longer to supply Ukraine with weapons and support. It's not going to help sell his story. Nobody would have said that. Nobody would have done that other than him. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Joe Biden is playing right into the hands of communist China. Never again can we allow ourselves as a nation to be dependent upon them for anything. And to see Secretary Yellen there bowing down repeatedly in China, it's embarrassing and it's emblematic of this administration. It's unbelievable. It was seven times. It was so tragically ridiculous. She goes in there and not only is she four four foot seven and makes uh, talks one word a minute. She goes in there, the first high level official, I think Treasury Secretary to visit. And I'm not convinced she didn't give away the store. Essentially, we walk out there banning two medals from us starting August 1st that we need for all the EVs that are being jammed down our throats. We have limited their access to American uh, uh, business and cloud uh, cloud access in Microsoft and Amazon. In order to use that, they have to get permission from the federal government. Uh, and please tell me how they got away with not apologizing for the spy balloon, which they call a spy ship. Congressman Burgess Owens is just returning from Taiwan uh, and joins us now. As you know, he's from Utah and a member of the Judiciary, House Education and Labor Committees. Congressman, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Look forward to talking with you, my friend. So first off, uh, what was your take from what has emerged from the the Secretary of Treasury's visit there after the Secretary of State's visit? And now guess what? John Kerry's coming to town, the climate czar. Uh, One word, weakness. Uh, I I think everyone sees this. Uh, That's one of the reasons we wanted to visit uh, this uh, delegation visit uh, Taiwan last week, and I was there uh, just for Christmas. We want to show uh, uh, friends and enemies that, that they have a friend in the United States. We have a friend in the Congress that understands that their, their position, their, their strength in being a, such a major part of the chip industry, and that uh, that we're going to, to, to back and support them up. And I, and I think that's really what, what has to come out of our uh, those those uh, uh, those of us who are uh, again that part of the Biden administration that make sure we're showing the strength that they're not showing and everybody sees it. How I know they paid thirty three billion dollars with specific weapons requests, <laughs> and we have not delivered anything to them. They say it's supply chain issues, it's production issues. How close are we to getting that? Because then I think we pledge another forty five billion. I'm talking about Taiwan. Well. That was one of the concerns that was spoken of, and and we realized number one, first of all, I don't think it's a priority with the Biden administration, but it is still also a supply chain issue. Uh, we need to to as a country uh, put a focus on the fact that we need we, we need we, we need ammunition. We need to make sure that the the, the military uh, strength that we have is backed up by weaponry. So those are things that just we just we approach the the COVID process of putting everything on on, on the table, making sure that the private and public um, uh, processes were moving together. We need to do the same thing in terms of our, our weapons. So uh, again, it is a major concern for for Taiwan because they have paid for this um, for the equipment they've asked for, and of course they're not getting it yet. 
How mobilized? I mean, how do you sense when you went into Taiwan that there was a country preparing for war? <laughs> I think what what I see with Taiwan is a is a is a, is a people a culture that loves freedom. Uh, they're very innovative. I kind of compare them with uh, with Israel to a degree. They're a, a, a free land in the middle of uh, a very close to evil. Uh, they they. Um, they do. They do. They do not need our help, though. And that's the, the, the bottom line. What they have going for them is that their strength in the chip industry. Uh, they, uh, you know, 68 percent of the market is done is 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 is, is provided for by Taiwan. 90 uh, percent of the world's leading semi, uh, semiconductors used for for AI. So they have the strength in that area, which they could they could uh, use to, to pull back if they have to. But at the end of the day, they're going to need military help. They, they have a, a country, China, that that uh, would love to steal what they what they have actually earned and, and built up to this point. Uh, I want you to hear uh, what Tim Kaine said about the visit that Treasury Secretary Yellen had to China, cut 30. You know, I, I'm not sure we're getting a lot, but you have to communicate. The two most powerful nations in the world have to communicate <laughs> to avoid unnecessary escalation and risk. Nobody in the United States wants to see an unnecessary military skirmish with China, and that's why communication is so important. Communication doesn't guarantee a positive outcome, but the absence of communication does. So you're for the lines open, but we know we're not getting much. No, that's the strategy that, you, that the communists use, by the way, just talking, talking with no action. What, what we have to understand, this is where the failure has been for decades, uh, Brian, is we've had leadership to, who, who did not understand what communism looks like, what, what evil looks like. Now, these people have no desire to come to a conclusion, a fair conclusion. They want power. They want to take over the uh, Taiwan. And, and, and we have to approach them in that regard. What can we do to make sure we're showing strength? Not not just capitulating, but just capitulating with with just talking and 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 and, uh, and not having anything to back it up. So uh, we have to to show strength, uh, do what we have to what we can to make sure that uh, uh, we no longer go down this line of, of, of believing that 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 communists that this evil can be turned into something good at down the road. It's, it's not it's not in the cards for us to for them to do that. Uh, Congressman, uh, how concerned are you about your reelection? I know every battle's a tough one. How are you guys? How are you doing? <laughs> I'm feeling very good, by the way, for the entire. I feel very good about our country right now, Brian. We we uh, we're a country that's waking up. Uh, you know, I, we we live in this freedom bubble that uh, kind of we focus on our dreams, our goals, and forget that evil is in our doorstep. As a nation, we're seen because of the Biden administration, and because we have a five vote margin, a five uh, 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 five seat margin, that we have transparency that we have not had. For a long, long time, I, I, don't, I don't. I don't think we've ever had this kind of transparency. So not only are the American people seeing what is behind the curtains, what has been happening to steal our freedom for quite a, quite a while, but we have a a, 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 a conference that is truly about America first. So we're going to start seeing more of these uh, 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 these hearings that point out to these these areas in which we've been uh, we've been used, abused, and discarded. And we're going to we're going to come back and, and, and do pretty well. As uh, Thomas Jefferson said, freedom is won one inch at a time. And uh, we're winning that battle, believe it or not. It sounds as much chaos as it, it appears to be. Uh, transparency has always been the way to freedom, and we'll get that done. Appropriations bills got to be signed and worked on yeah. in both chambers and passed. And, you know, people want to get out and get on with their summers. What do you hear uh, that's going to happen? Because you guys want to do things on regular order, which means Democrats will be heard. There's going to be 12 yeah. appropriations bills. How do you think this plays out? I think this is going to be the moment American understand the power 
of her of uh, holding the purse. Uh, you know, we, we've really never had the ability to do this in quite a while to have appropriations to show up and, 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 and either fund or defund things because we've had, at the end of the, end of the day, uh, this omnibus which the Democrats have used uh, to their benefit. We're going to have um, this this fall appropriations, and we're going to start to see what it looks like. We can go through and start checking things off that to be to be defunded. Things that have been adding up a while through fiat, through just rules, and and, and with no no congressional oversight, we can start begin to pull back those areas that, that we don't see as necessary. So the, the, the goal right now is to show what it looks like for American people with appropriations this fall, and then in 2024 to, to add on to our, our base in the House, get a Senate and a president, and you're going to start seeing some remarkable changes overnight uh, as we start to, uh, to control the purse strings like we should and get away from this $31 trillion um, uh, debt that continues to, to, to loom over our heads at this point. Congressman Burgess Owens making an impact. Thanks so much, Congressman. So glad you went to Taiwan. He can give you a firsthand account now. They are friends. We've got to make sure we support them. Thanks so much, Brian. Appreciate you, it. You got it. one 866 You can write me, briankillme.com, and I'll click on your comment. You click on the comments, and I'll click on them uh, over here. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. For many, she's the brighter side to Florida's angry governor. For others, she's become America's Karen. (laughs) Tara, um, I think David's beaten you um, in terms of taking my breath away during a segment. Uh, America's Karen, David Jolly. Well, I called her, I called her this, you know, Serena Waterford wannabe needs to cut it out. We see you. There's, There's all kinds of names for her. She needs to stop trying to measure the great drapes in the White House and think that she's some kind of Jackie O reincarnate. Uh, that is unbelievable, but should be, I should not be surprised. That is MSNBC just riffing on, uh, Mrs. DeSantis. Uh, it turns out that she wants to be pro mom and pro education. And they say she's a Karen or they call her Walmart, Walmart Melania, which is actually a compliment because most Americans shop at Walmart. And if you want most Americans to vote for you and you put them down by where they shop, Middle class, and I don't know. I don't know anyone who doesn't shop. If there's a Walmart near them, why would you not go? When you travel, you forget. To, I mean, why? There's everything there. Why do people say stuff like that? I mean, uh, but whatever. You have a person. She is unbelievable on camera. She's unbelievable on microphone. And she acted the same way. They say she wants to be Jackie O. That's the way she looks. I saw it. She did. Uh, she was on Fox affiliate over in Jacksonville, Fox and or one of the affiliates, maybe an ABC affiliate over in Jacksonville. That's where she was on camera before anyone really knew who she was. I think before she was married, that's the way she is. So you could say that she's trying to be Jackie O. No, she just happens to be look like Jackie O, quite attractive and a plus. So you have a talented husband and a talented wife have different skill sets so you have to put them down. I don't get it. I don't, I, I don't get it. But speaking of uh, women, I got this uh, email in. Jane writes this. Why do you think Jill is not with the president again on this trip where he stopped to see King Charles? It seems like she is distancing herself from him. Somebody should be with him so he does not fall. I agree. And did you see King Charles grab his arm? Number two. 
Both of them didn't know where the hell they were going. They had some ceremony. They were pointing each other in different directions. But the president is just walking with his hands straight down his side. And King Charles, who's ancient himself, but a little bit more, uh, has a little bit more dexterity to him and less rigidness, was trying to push him aside. It was, I mean, everything just looked brand new to him. And it didn't look like it would have hurt to have the first lady there. I mean, to me, that's why Hunter's there. Not only to keep an eye on him, because who knows if that was his cocaine or not, maybe have a relapse. But I think he's the guy who's helping him get around, filling the gaps, filling the sentences. You saw what happened in Ireland. I mean, that was pretty bad. Here is um, the other big story over the weekend that I got the I got it on Saturday, but it really published on Sunday, and that is Maureen Dowd. You know, she's a columnist. You usually don't read. Because just snarky and always anti-Bush, anti-Trump, hates Trump, despite even though they know each other for years. She writes an op-ed that was definitely uh, eyebrow-raising. Mr. President, it's seven grandkids, Mr. President, is a headline. But the president can't defend Hunter on all his, uh, as I read you an excerpt, the president can't defend Hunter on all of his other messes and draw the line at accepting the little girl. You can't punish her for something she had no choice about. And I'm referring to this girl that they named Navy, that he had at a wedlock, obviously, with a woman that was, uh, I guess, a stripper, pole dancer, whatever. He denied knowing her, but he actually lived with her for a while. She was pregnant. She had the baby. And then he distanced herself from her. The DNA test shows it's his. Then he's paying $20,000 a month. Then he uses his high-priced lawyers to jam it down to 5000 and gave her some paintings and said, you cannot use the family name. Well, now the girl's like four or five and knows exactly who her grandfather is. And she just says, the word getting out of the White House, we have six grandchildren. The first lady writes a book, a kid's book that no one reads, but it says dedicated to my six grandchildren. And then Maureen Dowd calls him out. She goes on. As this little girl grows up, knowing that her father and paternal grandparents wanted nothing to do with her, she will probably be able to see a video or two of showing her half-sister Naomi getting married on the South Lawn and watching the fireworks on the balcony with little Bo. And if she misses that, there will be plenty of schoolmates to remind her that she wasn't wanted. Kids could be mean that way. She asked why Hunter couldn't act like Tom Brady, who treats his son with Bridget Moynihan, the actress he was dating before he married Giselle Bunchen, the same as their other two children he and Giselle had. Not to mention Arnold Schwarzenegger, who says in a new Netflix documentary series that he has a great relationship with the son and after a tryst with his family housekeeper that broke up their marriage. My sister, this is it's all through his sister, who said originally she was charmed by Joe Biden, who wrote a letter saying, I'm just appalled that he's denying this grandkid, said, my sister and I often disagree with politics, but this is not a political issue to us. It's a human issue. Joe Biden's mantra has always been, quote, the absolute most important thing is your family. It is the heart of the political narrative. Empathy, born of family tragedies, have been his stock in trade. Callously scarring Navy's life, that's the girl, just as if it gets started, undercuts that, as Katie Rogers at Times White, uh, a Times White House correspondent wrote in a haunting front page piece last weekend about Hunter's unwanted child. Biden is so sensitive that only his president's, the president's most senior advisors talk to him about his son. In a strategy meeting in recent days, in recent years, aides have been told that the Bidens have six, not seven grandchildren. Biden dedicated their 2020 children's book to six grandchildren. She goes on to say, not okay. 
If you thought the family situation was tragic, well, look what he dealt with in the 70s. Look what he dealt with with Bo's death of cancer. Look what he dealt with with his son's addiction. While doing international business deals that you deny, while having his acolytes pressure major media companies to suppress the Hunter Biden laptop, putting everybody's reputation on the line to declare it wasn't true, knowing damn well it was true. Those pictures, the correspondence, the emails, knew it was your son's laptop with a bumper sticker on it that said uh, a bumper sticker that supported Bose Foundation. This is the guy who's a great family man? Please. Everyone is so free to say all these problems with Trump, and some of them are accurate. But if you look at Eric, you look at Don Jr., you look at Ivanka, we don't really know Barron, but by all means, the six foot ten inch kid, uh, I know people that played soccer with him. He's just a great kid. Milani is a great person, speaks five, seven languages or whatever it is. They get no pass. They get ridicule. Imagine if Eric or one of the sons did this with another kid, paid off to make sure this kid didn't come up and complicate their lives. Are you kidding me? Tiffany was married to Marla. He was married to Marla. Tiffany was born. Tiffany is now part of the family major wedding. Everybody went. Come on. Every family's imperfect, but you easily try to bring it in and do the right thing at some point. You cannot categorize him. Number one, when it comes to issues, don't tell me about how gun laws are bad. Your son threw him in the street and got away with it. When you talk about taxes, don't tell me how the rich have it too good for too long and don't pay enough taxes. You've made hundreds of millions of dollars, it looks like, and you don't even get it acknowledged on your ledger, let alone paying less, your family paying less than they even earned. Your son, and maybe you, because you might have benefited when they retrace all these financial steps. And then when it comes to family values, don't go criticize the former president because you look in your own backyard and your own personal decisions. At 80 years old, you're still making the wrong decision about a grandchild that uh, is yours, which is just absolutely crazy. So you got that question from Fareed Zakaria about, are you too old? No, just watch me. Yeah, we watch you. I need four more years to do six more years to do this. Well, the USA Today Suffolk did a poll of Democrats and independents. 37 percent say the president's age made them less likely to vote for him. Then the Economist YouGov poll, 45 percent of independents say Biden's health and age severely limited his ability to do his job. Whatever you want to say about Trump. I mean, my goodness, I just got an invitation to Cardinal uh, Dolan's big uh, Al Smith dinner. Do you know who's going to give the spe- be the speaker? Henry Kissinger. He's 101 years old. I'm not making fun of anybody's age. It's how you are at the age. And how he is at the age, please don't tell me you think he can do the job. Brian Kilmeade Show. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 7669 We have a lot to discuss. I come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, heard around the world. So this hour, we're going to be joined by Michael Goodwin in the matter of moments and Daryl Johnston. Uh, we got a lot to discuss in the world of football, uh, U.S. and USFL, as well as NFL. So much 
uh, taking place is so so many people can't wait to see it back in action. And I'll tell you what, I'm sure they were glad not to be playing in full pads last week. They said it was the hottest week around uh, in the history of planet Earth. However, they do that. But of course, it's all about climate change. When it gets really cold or really hot, it's climate change. Uh, so we'll discuss that. So uh, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You have a two-cap misdemeanor uh, tax plea that should not have taken all the time that it did. So either David Weiss is incompetent in taking five years to do that, or he's not telling the truth and Merrick Garland's not telling the truth. Hunting for Hunter, digging for Joe. The GOP is showing a relentless pursuit for the truth with Hunter and our, uh, and our finding a money trail around the globe. But does that lead to Rehoboth and the man that owns the Corvette? The Bidens don't believe it will, but we're about to find out. Number two. This is a war relating to munitions and uh, the running out of those that ammunition, and we're low on it took the recommendation of the Defense Department to allow for, in this transition period, where we have more 155, these shells for Ukrainians. What? The President of the United States, Ukraine, NATO, and China. Biden is trying to tackle all the greatest challenges with him and his team and already off to a spectacularly bad start. Uh, He has now met with the king, met with uh, the prime minister, but also in his interview with Fried Zakaria, made it clear we're running out of ammo. Reinforcing all the critics of this Ukrainian operation. Unbelievable. Number one. I think we've all understand the personal challenge and, and, and concern and all of these things that the that the that the president has here. But I mean, it is no doubt every day DeSantis or, or, or Trump tries to use Hunter to beat up Biden. Are you nuts? I mean, this is so clueless. Chuck Todd, yes, even the New York Times and CNN show, they have huge doubts about President Biden's age, and I'll show you. And the character, Maureen Dowd, writes about it. How can he tout family values while turning his back on the seventh grandchild? But yet, Chuck Todd and others claim it's because the Republicans want to beat up on Hunter to hurt Joe. No, Joe's doing it all himself. By the way, he acts around Hunter, and we're still trying to find out whose cocaine it is. But Michael Goodwin sees a blueprint, a blueprint for Joe Biden's exit. Michael, welcome back. What do you mean? Good morning, Brian. Well, look, uh, as the way I see it, there, there are two problems for Joe Biden, two major problems. One is his performance as president, which is being panned by most Americans. I mean, on the economy, he's polling in the mid-30s. Um, and so when he was out with Biden Bidenomics. I mean, it's almost like uh, embrace the suck, right? I mean, people hate your economic policies, and you're going to run a, run for re-election on them. That doesn't make sense. Uh, and and then the second track uh, has to do with uh, the Hunter Biden scandal and Joe's involvement. Now, look, I think there's growing evidence of Joe's involvement. I've never doubted it. Uh, it just again, the, the whole Hunter Biden scandal of getting money from foreign governments and wealthy people doesn't make sense unless Joe is involved. Who would who would pay Hunter Biden millions of dollars if he couldn't deliver his father? And he delivered his father. And I believe his father was involved all along. So I think these two tracks are both threats to Joe Biden, but I think they're converging now. They're get, we're getting closer and closer to where we're, he's running out of time and the Republicans are, are 
ratcheting up the squeeze play in the House. And more information is coming out. One of their family partners, Devin Archer, is about to testify before the House. He may have already done it in secret. Uh, he know he has all the keys to the kingdom. He knows if you know to what extent Joe was involved in some of the, particularly in Ukraine, where he and Hunter were both on the barista. That'll be board. huge. Huge, if, huge. if, if Devin I, Archer talks, but it might be might there be incentives for him not to talk since he's going to jail anyway? I mean, could it be worse if he talks? That's what I worry about. Well, it it, it could be, but uh, you know he's going to be under oath. Uh, I don't think he has anything to lose by talking, uh, and probably nothing to gain by not talking. I mean, the the family can never. With Joe Biden going to pardon him? I don't think that's conceivable. So uh, I do believe he will talk uh, under oath. Uh, and uh, so anyway, I think these two tracks are converging. And I think sooner rather than later, uh, Joe Biden is going to have to offer not to run as a concession to the Republicans and maybe even to his own party that he simply it's inconceivable, Brian, that Joe Biden can serve another five plus years in the White House. He's just not up to it. It's obvious. His po- he, he is on serious decline. His policies are not working. His son is dragging uh, the family business out into the open. Uh, I, I don't see how it continues. So the question is, how does it end? And that's what I focus on. That's at some point, there will be this horse trading where he will offer not to run again, uh, perhaps in exchange for not being impeached by the Republicans in the House. Uh, I want you to hear uh, li- and listen play. Listen to this. And this is what people think is laying the groundwork for what you're saying, Michael Goodwin. Uh, Fareed Zakaria, listen to this question. Cut three. You've often said when people ask you about your uh, age, uh, just watch me. And I think a lot of people do watch you and are impressed and they think you've been a great president. Uh, you've brought the economy back. Uh, you've restored relations with the world. But many of these people do say, and these are ardent supporters of yours, the next thing he should do is step aside and let another generation of Democrats take the baton. Why are they wrong? I mean, do you believe that? You, many people think you're great. I understand that you want to give the guy respect. I understand that. I guess he really likes him. They talk a lot. But, I mean, to say he's a great – many people think you're a great president, I actually never have heard that. <laughs> yeah, I've never I've never met a single person who approves of his uh, economic policies either. So, I, you know, it's hard to believe. But yeah, even kind of, uh, you know, in journalism, Brian, the, the, the phrase uh, – a, uh, a beat sweetener. So Fareed Zakaria is sweetening his in, his interview by praising the president before he sticks the knife in him. Uh, look, I, it, it's silly to think that he's been a great president. Nobody, nobody thinks that. Nobody in the country thinks that. Rejoining the world. I mean, the world is more unstable than it has been in 60, 70 years. Uh, this, is, this is all nonsense. So, look, I, I think if I could, Brian, just uh, to, uh, to stray for a moment into the Ukraine situation, Niall Ferguson, Neil Ferguson, the historian who was at Harvard, months ago said on a podcast that we were running out of munitions uh, for our own military because we had given and sold so much to Ukraine. Now, here's, here's Joe Biden's people saying now, admitting 
that, okay, we're running low, so we're going to give the Ukrainians cluster bombs. And you and cry, rises, cluster bombs are cruel, blah, blah, blah. And the Biden White House's response to that is, well, don't worry, many of them are old and they won't explode. Wait a minute. So why are we giving them to Ukraine? How are they going to help Ukraine? And what, what is the point of all of this? I mean, it's just wherever you turn, there seems to be a level of incompetence. And Ferguson made the point in terms of China that we, we say as though we're going to help arm Taiwan. Biden has even suggested we might participate in the military defense of Taiwan should China attack. Ferguson's point was, we don't have the munitions. There is no more military industrial complex. It's withered away. And so it will take years to replenish our stocks of munitions. And that seems to be coming true and playing out in terms of Ukraine. But it does raise the question, what if China were now to invade? Wouldn't we be able to help Taiwan at all? Um, interesting times. And I think the Biden people have a lot of explaining to do. Yeah, I want you to hear this, their comment uh, from Joe Biden. Listen to him just stumble into this and how significant it is. They tried, they tried to redefine it to Fox News Digital. But here are the president's comments. Cut 20. This is a war relating to munitions and uh, the running out of those, that ammunition. And we're low on it. And so what I finally did, took the recommendation of the Defense Department to not permanently, but to allow for in this transition period where we get more 155 weapons, these shells for the Ukrainians. Oops. Do you just say we're running out of them? And then later they came back and said, well, we're running out of our surplus that we're using to give to them. But we have our own. No, we don't. We already know this for a fact. And by the way, they gave us a check for $30 billion, did, did Taiwan, for stuff 18 months ago, and we still have not delivered. And they asked for more, and they, they ordered another $45 billion worth of munitions, and we have not delivered on that either. And not laziness, we don't have them, but we've gotten this. Someone described this to me, and you've said in great detail, in the 90s, it consolidated all these weapons manufacturers. It was on the behest of the Clinton administration. They said it would be better and more efficient if you guys combined. So they did. But now there's no incentive to excel. And this production so slow, a lot of it has to do with the supply chain, but just a lack of competition pushing these guys. It's been a disaster. So let's react to it. Failed experiment for 20 years doing two wars. I never remember hearing we're out of ammo. We've been and we've been we've been scaled back dramatically outside the Ukraine effort from what we were spending. Where's the where's the weapons? Well, and that's and it's a, that's the point. And that and then comes the answer: <clears throat> cluster munitions, cluster bombs, which you know have all this shrapnel and explode. And then the defense, when the Democrats criticize Biden for this, the defense is many of them are old and won't detonate anyway. Well, then how are they going to help Ukraine? Uh, I mean, it's, it's a bizarre situation where they just keep stepping in it. You know, every it's like the cocaine story, Brian, right? It's, it's one, one day it's one thing, and then the next day it's another thing. And then finally you say, well, why can't you just say flat out that no, no Biden, there's no connection to any member of the Biden family? They can't say that. Why can't they say that? 
they must know something by now. I mean, unless they got the key ops doing the investigation there, there's got to be cameras all over the White House. Uh, And so it's just you doubt them at every turn, and they never do anything to really remove your doubts. Or when they do, as with Ukraine, it just confuses more. I mean, even Biden going over to, to a NATO meeting on where Ukraine membership will be one of the things discussed, says before he goes, we're not, we're not going to agree. We're, I, I don't support membership in NATO for Ukraine. Uh, why are you going then? What's the I, I meeting know. about? And he's supposed to get Sweden. Uh, through, which which would be a huge asset to any alliance. Instead, Turkey says, not only am I not giving them to you, if you give us the F-15s, which, by the way, they didn't get because they're using a Russian missile defense system. We told them not to. You're a member of NATO. They did it anyway. They said, well, you know what? Unless we you let me join the EU, we're not letting Sweden in. So that's the persuasion of of Joe Biden. There is no, there's no leadership. I mean, you know, Brian, there's all this, and again, the, the Fareed Zakaris of the world would say, oh, he united NATO against Russia. If you look at what Germany is actually contributing to the Ukrainians, it's next to nothing, right? There has, Germany is still not paying its minimum requirement uh, for defense that it agreed to. Joe Biden doesn't mention any of this. Barack Obama tried and failed. Donald Trump said, well, then we're going to pull out. Why should we defend you if you want to help defend yourself? And they started to pay more. But some of the major countries in Europe, especially Germany, do not pay their own minimum uh, requirements for their own defense. They, They leave it to America. If we see those books now, we will see that those countries are probably all paying less than they were under Trump. I mean, this is the failure of leadership internationally. And why should we expect different? We see Joe Biden at home. Why should we expect he's going to be more respected abroad? They'd like a soft, weak American president. It's good for Europe not to have an American president banging on them and demanding that they do more. They're quite happy to have a weak American president. And they can pull the wool over his eyes. Michael, the blueprint for his exit's there. And I thought Maureen Dowd's column over the weekend when he says, Mr. President, you have seven grandkids. She talked about how her, how her conservative sister was charmed by Joe Biden, but so offended that he will not acknowledge this seventh grandchild at 80 years old. Do you think this is a big deal? I mean, I'm not sure. Maureen Dowd is used to, I mean, just writes every day how bad a person Trump is, used to love him. Uh, what do you think about this? Yeah, Maureen and I are our former colleagues and friends, and I've known her forever. She has a very conservative brother and a very conservative sister. I don't know what happened to Maureen. I mean, she <laughs> she fell from the from the tree in that family. But look, I, I think among Democrats who are still kind of holding on to this myth that Joe Biden is a really great guy and great soul, you know, the heart of the middle class, Scranton and all of that, the people who still buy that malarkey, uh, I think the, the grandchild is, is a good example of why they're wrong. But it's just the beginning. Gotcha. I mean, that, that's my view, that this is, this is just sort of the, the most visible, heartless tip of the iceberg. Got the, it. The story, At 80, of and Michael Goodwin, there's another great reason to read your column, the blueprint on Joe Biden's exit. Uh, we appreciate it. The New York Post. When we come back, your calls, 
Brian Kilmeade so glad you're here. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks so much for uh, calling 1-866-408-7669 and listening. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. If you were outside, more than likely you were hot. Uh, but it was cool. Joe is on uh, Long Island. Hey, Joe, what's on your mind real quick? Brian, good morning. Uh, where are the peace talks in Ukraine? What's there to talk about? Not escalate. Uh, well, well, how do you, who do you talk, who are you going to talk to in Russia? You can keep 20% of my country. Let's talk peace. Get out of the country, then they can talk peace. Brian, we're sending cluster bombs. Putin's going to set use tactical nukes. What, uh, what he's not using tactical have- nukes. They're going to blow up in his face. He's all talk. He's already using cluster bombs on children and apartment buildings. There's nothing wrong with using them. The problem with Joe Biden is he just gave Russia a major talking point that they have a reason to stick with it, despite having 200,000 casualties and a minimum 50,000 dead losing 600 West American companies uh, from their country. They are falling apart before our eyes, mercenary groups attacking each other. They're one of our key enemies in this world, and they've been diminished by at least 50%. Uh, And it's all of their own doing. You can't negotiate with people that invade you while they stay in your country. It's just unthinkable. Listen, when we come back, we open up the phones, and we talk to Daryl Johnston. Don't move. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Magoo, low snap. Now Magoo looking deep down the field. Has a man and that is caught for the touchdown. Davion Davis. Magoo towards the end zone and this pass is reeled in for a touchdown. What a play it was. This is Magoo towards the end zone and this is brought in for the touchdown. Magoo scrambling around. Keeping his eyes downfield, launching this ball towards the end zone, and that football is caught for the touchdown. There's three defenders there. And there, just like that, the Stallions beat the Molars 28-12. to The league has completed its second season, uh, and looking forward to a third, and that, of course, was the uh, Birmingham Stallions, who by far, with Alex Magoo, the MVP, and the Stallions' best team in the league again, uh, they certainly had the fan support, and Daryl Johnson overseeing it all as executive vice president of football operations. Daryl Johnson, former NFL fullback, three-time Super Bowl champion, joins us now. Daryl, how do you feel? Are you able, able to decompress? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Uh, it's been a little hectic. Um, you know, kind of wrapped up our season and got to enjoy it a little bit. Was able to to be in Birmingham for the parade uh, when the team got back. Uh, the coolest thing was there were – Several of their very, very loyal fans um, who we see every week in Birmingham that had made the trip to Canton for the championship game. And then when we announced the parade, drove through the course of the night to make sure they were back in Birmingham for that. So uh, that that was really cool. Then we closed up shop uh, and then I had to roll right into uh, NFL seminar for Fox because the Women's World Cup has pushed up our schedule a little bit. So it was, a, it was a little bit of a crazy, hectic week last week, but did get an opportunity to enjoy everything we did in season two. Wow. So uh, is there anything, any sense, being that Fox likes to innovate, 
that they'll take any of your broadcast innovations from the into hearing the microphone, seeing the uh, coordinators talk to the players on the sideline, to hearing the plays being called, to the access the the sideline reporters get. Uh, is there any sense that they might be open to any of this? Well, Fox is definitely open to it. Uh, it's just a question of whether the NFL is open to it. And, the NFL's and I know final that, say, really? Yeah, yeah. They're gonna they're gonna you know dictate you know what is allowed. Um, you know that I I'm. I don't think the networks um, uh, can make those decisions on their own. Um, it's probably part of the TV contracts when you sign them, you know, where, where access is granted and, you know, what kind of the structure and the framework is, you know, every game day. Um, and I do know that, that there's a lot of coaches that, that even the audio that you can pick up now from the quarterback um, was something that was very, very hard for a lot of the coaches to kind of get on board with because, there's the staffs are so big it's hard for us at our level a, a lot of our, our staffs get this done but you go back to tv copy and you have so much information um you can mirror and match what you see on the game film by what is being discussed on the tv copy and you can actually have a pretty good feel for what that offensive player that defensive play is going to be so um, you know, what we do in the USFL is, is something that has been fought in the NFL for a long time, granting that access, not because they don't want the viewer to have the ability to hear the conversations and kind of bring you inside a little bit, but they're just worried about how the competitive advantage would shift. Right. Because um, we're, we're talking about staff that are, you know, 20 plus, you know, in the NFL, and they're going to have somebody that's grinding all week long on getting that information. And then if you're not careful, they're going to be able to relay it. You know, that's, we had to talk to some of our coaches and let them know, you know, listen, everything's on a seven second delay. You know, even though this, this information is out there is being shared, there's really no way for you to relay that into your quarterback. Who's got the headset, your safety, who's got the headset, your middle linebacker, who's got the headset in his helmet. That information can't be, be sent into him, even though we allow you to have conversation right after the snap of the ball. Um, it's not going to get there in time because we're on the delay. Right. I mean, the coaches cover their mouth uh, when they're calling the play <laughs> with, the, with, the, uh, with their play call. So you know how paranoid they are. Uh, Daryl, the other thing for the teams when they come back, I know you've been to four hubs. What's going to change for next year before we talk about the NFL for the USFL? Well, I, we're going to expand. It's just a question of where we're going to go. I mean, that, that is, you know, the grand vision of this league is to get all of our teams into their home markets. Um, but we're going to do it in a, in a very sustainable way, uh, a, a very fiscally responsible way. Um, and, and going from, from one hub in year one to four hubs in year two w- was, was a big leap. Um, very, very proud of everybody on, on how they managed and navigated that during the course of the year. Travel, obviously, was going to be our, our biggest challenge from year one to year two. And, and I thought, you know, everybody did a fantastic job there. Um, you know, as, as we go from year two to year three, we, we will grow. We will spin out into another hub um, and, and get another home team to the market? Will we do more than one? Time will tell. Um, you know, what is that relationship going to look like? Uh, you know, yeah. we're, very, we're very diligent when we go into these home markets to make sure we have the right partners, the right teammates to give us the landscape, get us ingrained, get us immersed into the communities, find those good partners to, to move forward with. So um, if, if, we, if we find one that's a great fit uh, and that's it, then we'll, we'll focus on that. If there's a potential for more than one, uh, we'll, we'll take a look at that. Uh, but that means we're growing from an employee standpoint, too. So, uh, you know, decisions that have to be made 
you know, in the near future to make sure we execute this as best we can in year three. Yeah, uh, let's talk about the NFL. Um, anything come out of your meeting that you could share with the public, or is that all top-secret Fox stuff? <laughs> uh, it, it's mainly uh, officiating, um, you know, some of the new the new things that have, that have transpired um, from last year to this year. Um, nothing groundbreaking, nothing earth-shattering. Um, Gronkowski on the desk? <laughs> I'm sorry? Gronkowski on the desk? Is he going to be full time? Uh, he is. Uh, he is back in the fold. He absolutely is back in the fold. Uh, he will be. Uh, he will be sitting at the desk uh, with the guys. Absolutely. So Tom, Tom Brady, you know, not though, other. right? He's taking a year off. Not. No, Tom Brady, not. Not yet. Not yet. Um, so we'll have. Uh, we'll have another uh, another year to wait. That was uh, Greg Olson had a lot of fun with that during the course of seminar. He was. He was very very good with that. Because um, he's so the number was, one. He'd be the number one color guy. And Tom Brady would, in theory, replace him, but he's he's the number one call guy maybe in the country. I think he he was nominated for an Emmy. He just does a great job. He was doing the USFL, wasn't he? No, he he was not with us. Um, no, he wasn't not yeah, this it, year, it, but it, in the past, has he done it? No, I don't think he. When he was still playing, he, he been, was you know what, he was uh, he was he was probably XFL back in 2020 with Kevin Burkhart. That's probably what I was looking um, at. he may have he may have been doing it there right when he was first coming out. Um, but yeah, I, th- I thought Greg had a great Super Bowl. Uh, I thought he did a really, really nice job there. And yeah, one of the I think his Emmy was uh, rising star, um, you know, in the sports broadcasting component. So, so let, um, let me give you two a, a rapid, a rapid fire. Uh, the players' union president, Demor- Demoris Smith, he wants to abandon the Rooney Rule, which we created that says you got to you have to interview a minority candidate for every coaching position. They're very frustrated. They feel as though not enough African Americans have ascended to the head coaching spot. Uh, have um, do you do you want to comment on that? I mean, do you think you do you think the Rooney Rule has worked? Well, I, I think it is it is guiding more more of the minority candidates the opportunity to interview. Um, but I think those candidates feel that it, it's just an interview to make sure they stay in adherence with the Rooney Rule. Um, is there any real desire to hire that minority candidate? I think that that's where the challenge comes from. Um, you know, it, are we really living up to the spirit of the Rooney Rule, which I think at its core, you know, comes from the right place. Um, but are we not using that anymore? Uh, and are we just including minorities in our coach mm-hmm. search? Um, but you've already got your eye on somebody who doesn't fit the profile of the Rooney Rule. All right, next. So I think it's been frustrating. For, yeah. I think it's been frustrating for the candidates for for quite some time now. Uh, next, Dak Prescott, eighth NFL season. He was supposed to be the superstar that told Tony Romo, "No reason to rush back. In fact, you can retire." Eighth season. Is this a do or die season for him? Sense of urgency within the organization that maybe we just got it. We got to stop. Uh, hitching a ride with them, or are they just on the hook with Dak Prescott, period? There's been talks from extending prior to the end of this year, so they're not getting hammered with a huge cap number. There's been talk of this being a make-or-break year for not only Dak Prescott, but for also Mike McCarthy. Um, You're talking about a guy who has not played at the level of his rookie year really since that time. Um, 15 interceptions in 12 games last year. It's all sitting there in the San Francisco game. It's, it's 17-9. They've got the ball back in a two-minute situation. You know, if Dak Prescott takes those, that offense down the field, scores a touchdown, gets the two-point play, now we're 17-17 going to overtime in the divisional playoff. That, that's where you make your legacy. That, that's the opportunity. 
that was missed, in my opinion, last year. Yeah, he really had an opportunity to cement what his future was going to be for the Dallas Cowboy organization with that moment, um, and and it was not done well. So uh, I think that that just continued to raise the questions that are going to be asked from, about Dak. Um, th- this is going to be a huge year for him, and, and it's it's been amazing, you know, the opposite ends of the spectrum of what his performance this year could lead to. You know, an extension at some point during the course of the year if he's playing super, you know, really, really good, or the potential that we're we're going to start to consider moving off of him. Uh, you know, as his next contract winds down, so uh, <laughs> a ton of disparity uh, in yeah. what the future holds for Dak Prescott. But it's all within his hand. He gets to control all of that, and that's the one thing that he has to understand. You know, can tr- control what you can control this season. Uh, it, limit your mistakes. That that was the big thing for him. That was where he was really, really good when he was younger. Um, but I mean, 15 interceptions in 12 games last year was was not his style of play that we saw early on. Green Bay Packers, Jordan Love, and this is the theory, the old theory. You let a, let a, a good, really good top prospect watch like they did Montana for a couple of years till the team got better or whatever the situation was. They let Jordan Love, he had to watch for a few years. Do you think he's ready? He better be. Um, you know, it, <laughs> it's time to put up or shut up for now. I have, I have not met a single quarterback who wants to wait and learn from uh, a quarterback that's ahead of them. They want to get in and face the live bullets, uh, actually learn and grow in live action, understand the speed of the game. Um, you know, that, that's, that's the way that whole thing has changed, you know, over the years, you know, back in the 70s and the 80s. And even in, in, in my era, you might bring in a quarterback and, and gradually introduce them into the game. And we've seen that a few times. But if you talk to the quarterbacks, it's put me in now. Let me learn on the fly. I don't want to hold a clipboard. I don't want to watch film and, and learn from watching somebody else play. Let me go out there. And, and even if it's a hard lesson, let me learn it, you know, at game right. speed. So um, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't, I, you're talking about Aaron Rodgers, you know, who he's behind. Uh, I, I think that this has been just a situation that, you know, from the time they drafted Jordan Love, it was, it was going to be a problem. And it was uh, Rams for Super Bowl quarterback to I want to dump Matthew Stafford. How true are those uh, rumors that he was they were trying to trade him everywhere? I think the biggest concern about Matthew is just his health right now. Um, you know, you're, he's at that stage of his career. He's I think people forget how much he got beat up in Detroit. Um, you know, he, he the years he was a starter there, you know, you can add about another 50 percent onto that. Uh, when you look at how much football time he's got on his on his bones, um, I mean, he was really, really roughed up. Um, so uh, that that was the big thing last season. Um, you know, that, that shoulder, there, there's always been talk about that shoulder. Uh, there's always been talk about that elbow on his throwing arm. Um, so, uh, you know, that's, that's always going to be a concern. Um, but that's an organization, really, when you look at what the Rams did, you know, not many people pull this off especially in the game of football because there's such a team element to it and it's time together that really creates the great teams. But they put all their chips into the middle and, and they you know brought in Stafford, brought in Vaughn Miller. I mean, they went all in on one run at a Super Bowl championship and they got it. So uh, you got to give them credit for that. But when you do that, you have to unwind that thing because you've got contracts and you've got salary cap pressure and you will go through a, re- a rebuilding phase. There's no way to avoid that. And I think that that's where the Rams are right now. Daryl, I, I worry out. Uh, he has uh, needed a break, but he came off vacation. 
uh, I guess, for 48 hours to help <laughs> us out. Only for you. Only Absolutely, Daryl. appreciate it. I hope to see you soon. Congratulations on another season. Look forward to year three. And, of course, now you're back in the booth in the NFL. Daryl Johnson, thanks so much. Thank you for all your support during the course of the season, Brian. I really appreciate it. You got it. Congratulations. You guys are making history. All right, when we come back, I'm going to open up the phones, one 408 And at the top of the hour, I'm going to be going on Instagram Live. So get your thoughts and, and deep introspective conclusions ready because uh, we're going to go live and see what you have to say. And then uh, we'll go back on radio. Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we are back. we got a few minutes here, and I'd just like to find out from you if you think, and I think the answer is yes, you need to know more. More to know. Invest in premium American whiskey as it ages. The older it gets, the better it gets, and the more valuable it gets. Go to caskdeeds.com. That's caskdeeds.com to learn more. Paid for by Spirits Capital Corporation. Well, Brian Kirk and the Jerks, I've never heard of them, but they invited Governor Murphy on stage in Monmouth County, just two miles from the governor's waterfront mansion. And guess what happened when he got on stage? Listen. perspective on this such a stupid response from like if it's not about politics why do you invite a politician on the stage brian kirk he's actually like it's a really great jersey shore band it's really fun like at this you know at the shore in the summer also ocean monmouth county some of the reddest counties in new jersey i know it's a blue state overall but they're pretty red counties what were you thinking? Like, and he's not popular. He shut down the whole state, suffocated all these businesses, and who knows what he did down there? And then also, they just um, the Murphy administration imposed uh, restrictions on breweries last year, and they're at a brewery. Like, nothing about that made sense. Jim just said, "Thanks for coming to my show, but you're going to stay in the." Crowd. You realize he fancies himself a president. If Biden does step aside, he's going to put himself right in there. That's no, delusional. Next, Utah governor is gearing up to sue social media companies for causing harm to youth. Governor Spencer Cox was really impressive over the weekend, not only talking about why he was against transgender youth conversions and the stats and what's going on there and how well prepared he was for Margaret Brennan on CBS, but he's also doing something I think that is way overdue. Listen. I'm sure we'll have social media companies suing the state of Utah. In fact, we're going to be suing social media companies for, for the harm and damage that they're, they're causing our young people. I, I suspect that at some point the Supreme Court will weigh in on this decision when it comes to restricting youth access. I thought you think this is going to happen. You have th- three little kids under six now, right? Seven? Correct. No, six and under. You're right. Um, I mean, I hope it sort of does. And I was... Thing. Like I, act, I do think like the pressure like not give your kids smartphones and iPads is starting to come back around, and I'm hopeful by the time mine get old enough that would want phones, like there's going to be enough parents that are like, no, you're not getting phones. Figure out ways to communicate with each other other than messaging and on social. It would be media. good. I know you could hold out. Next, bed rotting is self care. Some insist as mental health expert shares warnings about social media. Lounging in bed all day seems lazy, but for Gen Zers, again. They, they, if they want to get followers, they're embracing a new form of self-care called, self-care called bed riding. The practice of spending long periods of time snuggling under the covers, having snacks, uh, 
and other creature comforts. I mean, everyone's trying not to insult Gen Z, but if you're going to give us bed rotting... It's a terrible name. Terrible name. But it's so accurate. You just sit there in bed and snack in bed? You've done that? No, everyone has like a random day, but it's not a thing. Right. Usually hung over. <laughs> Probably. Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're so glad you're here. Senator Tom Cotton has been called into duty. There's so much going on internationally, and very few people are as skilled internationally and actually experiencing war. Uh, we're going to talk to Senator Tom Cotton in a matter of moments. And the great Brett Baer at the bottom of the hour will go over the political landscape. But first things first, Senator Tom Cotton, welcome back. Hey there, Brian. It's good to be back on with you. Well, I mean, so much to talk about. Uh, let's let's begin with the decision by the administration to use cluster bombs. Are you for it? Uh, absolutely, Brian. In fact, I've been calling for this for months and months. This is yet another example of Biden's uh, indecision and how it set Ukraine back. Uh, The president has been pussyfooting around now for almost a year and a half, refusing to provide Ukraine certain weapons that they need to defend their own territory, only to reverse himself months later when they're in a situation where they have to retake their territory. Um, We have millions and millions uh, of these artillery shells sitting on our shelves. We're almost certainly never going to use them ourselves. Um, They are suitable for the exact kind of artillery systems we've already provided to Ukraine. There is an international treaty uh, that many countries have signed against using them, but we have not signed it, and Russia has not signed it, and China has not signed it. And if I could just put a very fine point on it, Russia is using cluster munitions in Ukraine, and Ukraine has pleaded with us for months to let Ukraine use cluster munitions in Ukraine. So why the hell would we care if Ukraine uses cluster munitions in Ukraine? If it helps them retake their territory and end this war, we should have done it months ago. But tactically, don't they help with minefields? Don't they blow up these minefields ahead of the time, allow you to get through there? From a military standpoint, they were highly effective, not only uh, against minefields, potentially clearing a, a path, but also uh, against troops in the open or troops dug in or even vehicles as well. And again, we have millions of these shells sitting on our shelves uh, and almost certainly are not going to use them. Uh, So we should have been providing them to Ukraine months ago when Ukraine could have used them in its current offensive. So right now we understand there's been 9,000 civilian dead uh, at minimum, 11 million Ukrainians have been forced from their home. That's a, qu- a quarter of their population have just been moved out. We still don't have, they still don't have the promised F-16s. And it doesn't look like the training is starting until the fall. To me, this is mind-boggling. You know, politically, we have an election coming up. It's to the Ukrainians' benefit to get this counteroffensive on the march. You have a window of opportunity with the chaos and the Wagner Group and the march on Moscow. But, and get, there's no rush to do it. And, you know, Ukraine can't be too demanding because they know they can't overstep their bounds because we are their chief supplier. But listen to how they explain their decision on cluster bombs. Here is Admiral Kirby on ABC. They are using artillery at a very accelerated rate, Martha. Many thousands of rounds per day. This is literally 
a gunfight uh, in, in all along, from the Donbass all the way down towards Zaporizhia and Kherson. Uh, and so they're running out of inventory. Um, we are trying to ramp up our production of the kind of artillery shells that they're using most. But that production rate is still not where we want it to be. So we're going to send these additional artillery shells that have cluster bomblets in them uh, to help bridge the gap as we ramp up production of normal 155 artillery shells. And she said, so you're using these because you don't have others? And she goes, he said, yes, they are. So he's admitting, instead of this being a tactical choice, it's out of necessity. We don't have enough to give them. Is that possible, Senator? Yeah, Brian, unfortunately, that's the case. And, I mean, it's been increasingly the case in various kinds of munitions, not just in the United States, but our European partners as well, given the woeful state of our defense industrial base. Um, that's why I've been calling for months now uh, for a much more aggressive effort by the Biden administration to ramp up production of these basic munitions. We're not talking about large and complicated weapon systems. We're talking about something as simple as 155-millimeter artillery shell. Um, these things should not take months, much less years to make. But there are certain steps that need to take that we haven't taken yet, like you know, providing multi-year contracts so companies have the certainty they need to increase production rates or even add an entire new line of production, um, allowing other co- countries to buy these weapons on an accelerated basis to, again, create the demand that the companies need to invest uh, in the, their factories that build these weapons. Um, but it's very worrisome for what happened in Ukraine. It's also very worrisome, um, Brian, for the prospects of deterring uh, war over Taiwan in the Western Pacific. Uh, it's a serious problem uh, the administration needs to move much faster on. I understand that they're excited that they've taken steps to get production down from several years to just 18 months on some weapon systems, but we can't dislocate locate our shoulder patting ourselves on the back on that. We have to get that 18-month timeline on these weapon systems down to two, three, four months. So the President of the United States announced that the Ukrainians are not ready to join NATO, but he also is optimistic about uh, Sweden. Listen to what he was saying about Sweden, and, and, and now I'll give you reality after it. Cut 19. There is a Turkey is looking for modernization of F-16 aircraft, and uh, um, Metsotakis in Greece is also looking for some help. And so what I'm trying to, quite frankly, put together is a a little bit of a consortium here where we're strengthening NATO in terms of the military capacity of both Greece as well as Turkey and allow Sweden to come in. But it's it's in play. It's not done. But you're hopeful. I'm hopeful. Matter of fact, I'm optimistic. But now you shouldn't be because Turkey who I have no idea, I know they're strategically an advantage to have a NATO, but they are anti, they're anti-West. They said, unless you're going to give us a path to the European Union admission, we're not going to approve Sweden. We all know that Sweden would help the NATO alliance. What would you do, Senator? Well, Sweden and Finland both sought uh, NATO membership last year because of Russia's um, invasion of Ukraine, and they both do add significantly to the military and the geographical advantages that NATO has. Um, I think this is a failure of the Biden administration, really Joe Biden personally, that he's let this languish for so long. Um, Obviously, there are tensions between Turkey and Sweden. Um, Hungary objects as well, but no one thinks Hungary would continue to object if um, President Erdogan in Turkey 
um, you know, acceded to Sweden's joining NATO. And everyone had hoped that that would happen by the summit that the president is traveling to right now. And the, the president should have invested a lot more personally in ensuring that uh, Erdogan worked on his differences with Sweden, so Sweden could have been welcomed already. Um, but it really should happen uh, sooner rather than later. Um, I, you know, the president mentioned conditioning the grant of F-16s to Turkey, uh, approving Sweden. I think that's uh, something that should, should be done at a minimum. So the Ukrainian counteroffensive, we don't know quite what's happening. The Wall Street Journal is reporting that the Ukrainian forces are attempting to soften Russian defenses before liberating the territory. They don't have any air cover, but that's why that explains the slower pace. They have not fully gone in. You understand that as, as a guy who fought uh, in the military, in the infantry, you know what they're up against and how how this you know, it looks like the Russians lost minimum 50,000 men, 200,000 casualties. The Ukrainians haven't given their numbers, but are most, most likely very high. What do, you, what do you think tactically is going on there? Well, um, defeating a dug-in, entrenched enemy um, is one of the hardest operations um, in ground combat. And defending when you're dug-in and entrenched is one of the easier operations. And just so your listeners understand, I mean, these are not small foxholes that Russians dug with their entrenching tools. I mean, they have massive machines that come in, build uh, trenches like you, know, you had in World War One. Many of them are lined with concrete even. Uh, they have overhead cover as well. They have camouflage that can't be detected by drones or other aircraft. Um, so the Russians are very well defended uh, in those trenches with minefields and anti-tank devices. Um, I, I think Ukraine right now is fighting against those defenses. I don't think they've committed their, their full main effort yet, though, in part because they want to soften up the Russian defenses. And the, the Russian defenses hold until they don't. That's one lesson we saw last September in Kharkiv in the northeast and in Kherson in the south, is that it's hard to predict when Russian lines may break. Um, and hopefully they'll break soon, because the, the quickest way to end this war is for Ukraine to begin to have more battlefield victories and for Vladimir Putin to know that he's got more to lose mm. on the battlefield than he does at the negotiating table. You know how we left Afghanistan, the biggest disaster in modern American history, and how the those people who fought there are having especially hard time dealing with it, especially if they lost a loved one, limb, or psychological or emotional balance, because they say, what was it all for? Well, it gets worse. Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann, who put together Operation Pineapple, said this about what's happening in Afghanistan now. Cut 34. Over-the-horizon strikes are not a standalone strategy. I, they just they do not do that. They are a disruptive approach but they do not degrade the networks like al-Qaeda and ISIS the way that we want to. And what I'm most concerned about, while this strike was useful in Syria, Afghanistan is reemerging as a terror safe haven right now. We're getting reporting that Abdullah bin Laden is operating with impunity in Kandahar. Camp Bastion, a former Marine base, is now a receiving area for Chechens, North African uh, and sub-Indian continent foreign fighters. So you tell me is if over the horizon is working. And he's talking about the killing of which we always support of an ISIS leader, but telling us the reality that left behind in Afghanistan, which the president recently said there is no Al Qaeda presence there. What's your, what do you hear, Senator Tom Cotton? Yeah, well, um, I think Colonel Mann is actually being a little too generous to the administration. Uh, over the horizon strikes are certainly not a standalone strategy, but it's really not even a viable strategy by itself. Um, as I said at the time, if you have zero American presence, I don't just mean troops, I mean zero diplomatic presence, zero intelligence presence in a country that's landlocked uh, like Afghanistan is and has forbidding geography, it's almost impossible to develop the intelligence that's necessary 
to conduct any kind of airstrikes uh, against terrorist targets. Uh, I'm only aware of one, and that's been publicly acknowledged. That was the uh, killing of Ayman al-Zawahiri, um, and now almost two years since Kabul collapsed and the Taliban took over. I, I can't get into the details, obviously, but I, I can just say that I do not view what happened with Ayman al-Zawahiri as something that can be replicated. That was a unique set of conditions, uh, and I'm glad that we killed the Emir of al-Qaeda back then. Uh, but it's also not something that I think uh, that our intelligence community or our military can replicate. Um, so I think Colonel Mann, if anything, is being too generous to the Biden administration uh, over the horizon strikes on their own or not even working, much less integrated and part of a broader strategy. And that's why you are seeing uh, large parts of Afghanistan return uh, into terrorist mm. influence, if not terrorist control. What was accomplished in uh, Janet Yellen's visit? What do you think is going to be happening with John Kerry, the climate czar's visit to China? Yeah, I mean, what I think was accomplished by Janet Yellen going to China and kowtowing to them was to embolden Chinese communists, not just militarily, but to think that if Janet Yellen is setting economic policy for the United States, they continue to cheat and lie uh, and take advantage of American workers and American companies. Um, I shudder to think what John Kerry will do when he goes there, probably give away the farm. I mean, he'll say, you can take every one of our jobs and our factories, and you can take Taiwan as well, as long as you promise in some very fleeting uh, and unenforceable way to reduce carbon emissions by 2075 or some such nonsense. The, the problem is, I think right now, is that we have a trade deficit of we have six hundred and ninety billion dollars worth of trade with China, despite terrible relations. There's a mutual need on both sides, but we stop letting them use our cloud, and they're going to stop with two uh, precious metals or rare earth metals that we need for this these batteries and this uh, uh, a lot of this technology that have been jammed down our throats. What's going to give here? Yeah. Um... I've called now for some time to undertake what I call a strategic decoupling. We cannot allow China to have us over a barrel on critical uh, products or services. Um, It's bad, and we shouldn't have let China take over, say, our furniture industry or our textile industry. Um, That's not something that threatens our health or safety or prosperity, though. But for China to have the market cornered on certain kinds of semiconductor chips or certain kind of uh, uh, minerals, that uh, are critical for all modern electronics is totally unacceptable. To say nothing of having the market cornered on things like penicillin or heparin or acetaminophen, uh, it's very important that we start to build that manufacturing capacity back here in the United States and help our allies and partners build it as well. Senator, what's been the biggest surprise looking at the GOP race this July up to this point with all these candidates now in? What's been the biggest surprise for you? You know, Brian, to be honest with you, I haven't been following the race all that closely. I know a lot of these candidates, and I've worked with them from Donald Trump to Ron DeSantis, Tim Scott, and others, and I wish them all well. I think it's still early. Um, I guess I'm a little surprised by just the size of the field. I thought it might have been a little bit smaller, um, but I think that goes to show that uh, a lot of people think they have something to contribute to our party, and I know that they do, uh, whether they end up as our nominee or they return to one of their other offices or seek another office. So, um I, uh, like I said, I know them all well, and I, and I wish them well. And like you and like all voters in Arkansas, I'm going to be watching the race closely as it heats up in months ahead. My, well, my, my biggest surprise is that Donald Trump's up by 30 points. Would you have predicted that? You know, Brian, having elected not to be a candidate myself, uh, I elect not to be a strategist or a pundit for the candidates. Um, I'll let them manage that, and I'll, I'll leave the punditry to you. All right, so you're not going to endorse either? I don't plan to at this point. Um, like I said, I know a lot of these candidates. I consider them personal friends. 
Um, I did not endorse in 2016 until President Trump secured the nomination. Um, I think the best thing I can, I can do is try to help develop the ideas and the platform that will help whoever our nominee is, not just win the White House, but win back the Senate, right. hold the House, and then have an agenda to deliver to the American people successfully in 2025. And maybe be a Secretary of State or Secretary of Defense. I'll see if I can get you that job. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. All right, Senator Tom Cotton, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. You got it. one 408 7669 I'm pretty sure he doesn't want to get involved in 2024. Do you want me to listen to it back, or does you pick that up too? Okay, back in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. You're beginning to see a break in the system because it's becoming so sickening. It's so obvious. Frankly, the research by the House Republicans is so compelling that I think the whole thing's going to break down. And I think even for a lot of liberals, watching a president of the United States turn their granddaughter into a non-person, literally canceling her in a way that is, I think, horrifying and lets you know how cold and ruthless and calculating the Bidens are, and also tells you how much you can count on them to be honest about Hunter or about money. This is the most corrupt administration in American history, surrounded by people who live in a fantasy land in terms of how the world works, and the combination, I think, is an enormous danger to the very safety and survival of the United States. Well, I would say, as Newt Gingrich lays it out with perspective and clarity, I get it, but I think also you can't diminish Certain things, for example, a lot of people say, oh, you know, uh, George Bush, that Iraq war, I was against the Iraq war, you know, and um, I I didn't, you know, I I didn't like uh, some of his swagger after 9-11. Okay. But not many people dislike George Bush and Bill Clinton. They see his faux pas. They go, man, he was talented. He was engaging. Uh, Barack Obama, historic figure, a great communicator, not great one-on-one. But if you look at Joe Biden... He wanted to say, well, you know, he's older, but he's a good guy, good family man. You really can't say that. I mean, this grandchild thing, this seventh grandchild written up by Maureen Dowd, talked about on this show and others, is a self-inflicted wound from a guy that should just do the right thing uh, for his family. No one would fault him by saying, hey, this kid was born out of wedlock in between relationships. Uh, It was a colorful situation. But, man, we are so glad to have a seventh grandchild. Instead, word is in the White House, she doesn't exist. And then you see this girl does exist and knows where her last name should be. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I think the Republican base, by all indications, is fully committed with Donald Trump. Uh, I interpret those events more as almost like trying to find something that will work to dislodge this firm grip Trump has on the party. Um, uh, There doesn't seem to be so far an opening for anyone, even somebody much better funded like Ron DeSantis, who seems to have peaked at 20 percent. My view of the campaign as it stands right now is both parties seem to be on course to stage a 2020 rematch. That almost everybody says they don't want to see. So how do you figure? Joining us now is Brett Baer. Uh, he was uh, going full steam last week and it's not slowing down this week. Chief political anchor of Fox News, anchor of Special Report. Uh, Brett, Charles Lane, who's often on your panel, 
uh, pretty much just uh, observing from the outside. It seems like the party just wants Trump. Nothing's really changed since the, everybody's gotten in, except for Vivek Ramaswamy moving up to third, but still only still single digits. Yeah, Brian, I think uh, there hasn't been a lot that changed, uh, despite two indictments and a lot of focus on the former president. Um, the field has not there's not been a shining star. You're right. Ramaswamy has picked up a lot of interest, in part because he does almost every interview he's asked to be on. Um, and as opposed to some of these candidates who are not doing that, um, Governor DeSantis among them. And I think that, you know, there is this sense that um, minus a major misstep, um, you know, the, the conventional wisdom is that um, the former president will get the, you know, all the way. Uh, we got a long way to go, though, and uh, there can be a lot that happens, and somebody can make a policy push that uh, that really catches on. Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen much uh, like pure policy uh, for the most part, but we know that Governor Ron DeSantis is doing more. He was on with Will Kane on Thursday, uh, Sunday he was on Maria. Today he's going on at eleven with Stuart Varney, eleven uh, Eastern time. Here he is uh, talking about what he really preferred to talk about, and that is. Bidenomics, cut 11. All of the Biden bureaucratic regulations uh, will be tossed out. We're going to rip it all out. Uh, the Green New Deal, all these things they've done, you know, are bad for growth, um, and we're going to curtail that. If you look at the agencies, Maria, uh, the agencies in government have grown 50% since 2019. Is there any American that's somehow better off as a result of that? No, it's causing a negative impact. Uh, so, so we're going to do that. And he said that the reason why his polls aren't moving, he says the mainstream media uh, knows he's the most dangerous and they've been attacking him nonstop. Uh, do you see many? I don't see any major missteps. Maybe the super PAC coming out with the anti-gay ad, which is ridiculous, was pulled immediately. Do you see any yeah. missteps or you I just mean, look at the polls and say he's doing he's not doing as good as everyone thought? Well, I do think that that was a misstep. I think that the, that super PAC ad was bizarre. And um, and obviously got attention for all the wrong reasons. I also think that the focus of former President Trump on Governor DeSantis and spending more money on DeSantis's head currently, the Trump PAC is, than they spent on all of the GOP candidates they supported in 2022. So, I mean, that makes a difference. It affects your polls if you have negative ads and uh, negative stuff going out. But the other thing is, is that whether he has truly uh, identified with, you know, retail politics and whether people, you know, like him, I, I think that that's actually a part of it, too. Uh, and it factors in. It, it should, you know, there's some people that say, you know, that shouldn't be a popularity contest. But there is something about a voter uh, identifying with somebody that they they like or you know, find interesting. So it'll be negative. But when they come up with the indictment in Georgia, if everything goes the same way and Jack Smith goes, I have a problem with what he did on January 6th, another indictment, whatever you think that he will dominate the news cycle. Tim Scott could do jumping jacks shirtless uh, in a, in the beach. It does. I mean, it doesn't matter. And then every every candidate is going to be questioned on what they think of Trump rather than what what do you think of them? So it's got to yep. be frustrating for someone like Nikki Haley who makes a clear point the uh, best she can, but she, no one can do an interview without a reference to Trump. That's true. That's exactly right. And it's exactly right. And I think, you know, Mark Levin uh, last night, I think, had 
really compelling case about all of the leaks that have happened around all of these cases about the former president and on the DOJ side of how this has all been run. Um, and it's not, you know, it, it's it's not been run. And if you look at it from that point of view, a fair way. So then suddenly the former president becomes a victim here. And what he says on the trail, despite all the things that may be in each indictment and everything that he's you know, done in regards to that, but how it's been handled and how it's treated and how it's perceived uh, becomes a major issue. And he runs on that and no one else can do an interview without being asked about it. So the decisions to do cluster bombs, uh, to give uh, to give Ukraine cluster bombs. I, we just had Tom Cotton. I said it's I've been calling for it forever. We have plenty of it and we have not signed on to ban it. And they're going after military sites. Uh, they're going after civilian sites. We'll go after uh, military sites. They need it for a dug-in enemy. You absolutely need it. Here's what President Biden said, though. Cut 20. This is a war relating to munitions and uh, the running out of those, that ammunition, and we're low on it. And so what I finally did, took the recommendation of the Defense Department to not permanently, but to allow for in this transition period where we get more 155 weapons, these shells, for the Ukrainians. So so he said instead of saying, you know, we thought about it and we're going to give them the high Mars. We thought about it, we're going to give them the attackums. We are out of we're out of the other stuff. So we're giving them the stuff that many people would have banned. And that's why I'm giving it to him. Uh, I found that reason to be noteworthy. What about this Brett Bear? Yeah. Well, first of all, if you are China or you're some adversary, um, don't you take a note, a mental note? Of uh, U.S. is low on <laughs> munitions. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think that that's uh, something, a reason uh, to to then step up the cluster munition, um, you know, delivery to Ukraine. I, I understand what Senator Cotton is saying, and he's saying go as far as you can go. Uh, this is a war that they're fighting, and we're not fighting it. But in essence, we are. And And what's happening, to your point, is that each decision is creeping more. It's a no at first, but then it gets to a yes. Uh, but in that interim, thousands and thousands of people are dying on both sides. So, Brett, I want, just in case the president might have misspoke, I thought, you know, it, it just hard for people who say that we can't afford this war anymore. They now have a talking point for the Russians to say that we are losing uh, and the West has got an infinite amount of resources. They have a talking point. And now even Admiral Kirby was stuck on this. I don't think pre-thought this. Listen to this exchange. Um, they are using artillery at a very accelerated rate, Martha, many thousands of rounds per day. This is literally a gunfight uh, in, in all along from the Donbass all the way down towards Zaporizhia and Kherson. Uh, and so they're running out of inventory. Um, we are trying to ramp up our production of the kind of artillery shells that they're using most. But that production rate is still not where we want it to be. So we're going to send these additional artillery shells that have cluster bomblets in them uh, to help bridge the gap as we ramp up production of normal 155 artillery shells. So, it will so you're them sending in the fight. those cluster munitions because we don't have enough of the kind of munitions they need. That is right. <laughs> so I'm going to take this huge political risk, which I'm, I'm in support of for whatever uh, uh, feeling you want on that. But to go and say the reason is, is because, oh, that's all we have left is crazy. I agree. And I, I was surprised by the line of, you know, whether they backed into it or whether it was a result of the president's answer. But 
it sounds like it's the truth, and um, and that's not a great reason. You know, it just isn't. I know you get this on a regular basis. You're in Washington with all the great sources, but behind closed doors, you always wonder what's really going on. Well, according to Axios, uh, it turns out Joe Biden's a bit of a yeller. Uh, he's known to scream, use expletives, uh, to mean people with some of his statements. Uh, Jeff Zeitz, they point out, they still weren't over for the longest time that the COVID czar wasn't able to get uh, testing kits everywhere he promised. Obviously, they got over that. He's the chief of staff. But you just have these details of a president you don't want to get in his wrong side where people are walking on eggshells. Have you heard that? Because we've seen it in front of the camera. Uh, we've seen him blow up at Steve Ducey. We've seen him blow up at our different reporters. Peter. We see him blow up a lot. Yeah. Um, Peter Ducey, yeah. Steve maybe too, privately. But but Peter, they, he gets on him, uh, calls him a son of a, you know. And I, I think his temper has been um, talked about uh, behind the scenes. But this is the first one uh, piece that really taps into it. And, and, you know, you contrast that to when he takes over after the inauguration and says to his staff, if I ever hear you denigrating or talking down to anybody you work with, you're out of here or something to that effect. Oops. And, um, yeah, it's a little different. Um, listen, I think, yeah, listen, it does provide a window into a, a view of him that uh, we don't see and they don't portray. Uh, but I think it's accurate, this story out today. What was Brett Baer thinking when Maureen Dowd's column came out Saturday, published on Sunday, talking about it's basically unacceptable to not accept a seventh grandchild, and if that matters outside Washington? Yeah, I think that it crosses a Rubicon. It, if you go into the New York Times opinion pages in that way, uh, which has been talked about on Fox and other stations for some time about the hypocrisy of, of, of all of that. And once it hits Maureen Dowd's page, I think it takes on a different perspective in liberal circles. So um, I do think that it it, um, it changes the dynamic a bit. And again, these two pieces in just two days, roughly, uh, portray a different. President Biden than the affable, you know, good old Uncle Joe. Um, and, you know, it, it also suggests that Democrats are are a little bit frightened about what's coming forward. Right. Uh, and we can go back and forth forever on whether it's good news or bad news that Donald Trump is leading. Uh, you know, he's so overwhelmingly more popular than anybody else on the planet right now, or more well-known and these cases are more well-known. We've never seen as, as much experience as uh, we've had covering elections and you directly on the inside. I've never seen anything like it. Anyone who says this reminds me of uh, Grover no. Cleveland or, or Ronald Reagan's reelection. It doesn't. There's nothing like this we've ever seen before. Never. Never. There's no other thing that has, um, that has come close to this. I mean, first, the 2016 phenomena of – the businessman, reality TV show star who takes over the GOP primary. Everybody spends money on everybody else's head, and he shoots the gap and wins the nomination and then squeaks out a win on Hillary Clinton. That in and of itself was just nothing we'd seen before. But now this, after we saw January 6th, after all of this other stuff coming forward, to be able to get over that and people <laughs> basically say – you know what? This is BS. They're just going after him for some reason. Maybe the reason is he really shakes things up. That's what I hear the most. 
And for all the Republicans I hear who say, man, it'd be so much better if Trump wasn't the nominee, you know, I just really want it to be normal. There are that many more people who say they're obviously coming after him for a reason. And maybe the reason is Washington needs to change. I hear that, too. And it, we've not seen anything like this. I know. And, and you know, what's interesting at the same time we're watching this. I'm reading Robert Lighthizer's book. You were the first to interview him. And he spells out the, the vision that the Trump had in the 90s about free trade and how bad it was when nobody thought it was bad. They just almost almost everybody saying this is this is great. It's going to level the playing field. It's going to get people it's when we trade. You don't fight wars. And we and what happened is we lost our manufacturing base ability to make things and we stopped with trade schools. And Robert Lighthizer had a five alarm fire back in the 80s and 90s. And Trump was the only one, this businessman who used to hop on television, and he was intrigued by him. And these are the policies that came together that began to bring manufacturing back and alert, blowing up uh, and redoing these trade agreements, which have not been talked about since. But maybe there's a thirst for. Yeah. You forget I, I, there's I mean, a policy behind wise, it. There's a policy behind a lot of this, and it's not just haphazard, despite all the reporting of it. Um, and it, it, people looked at it and said, you know what, I like this, or it's a success in some way or another. The other stuff, the extracurricular stuff, um, that's where he think, I think he loses independence and suburban moms. But you know, if you're running against somebody like Joe Biden, I don't know. I don't know what happens. I think this is the most up in the air heading into a uh, convention season than we've ever seen. I hear it's going to make it exciting. It's going to make it very hard for Brett Bear to take personal days. That's the big thing. Because every day you're going to be like, oh, I shouldn't have taken off today. I could have been in there. (laughs) It's tough. But find a time, Brett. Uh, Brett, thanks so much. Appreciate it. We'll watch you tonight. We'll see you. Back in a moment. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, by the way, we went live on Instagram. I'm going to try to do that during the show regularly. You can watch the post, maybe participate next time. We also do Facebook in the morning to preview the show. So if you want to check that out, and special thanks to everybody who watched One Nation uh, over the weekend. Let's go out to WABC where Jeff is. Hey, Jeff, you're on Long Island. Uh, Hi, Brian. How are you? Good. What's on your mind? Uh, what I want to talk about is I'm so sick of listening to these armchair pundits, politicians, armchair generals, and they have no idea what they're talking about when it comes to the Ukrainian offensive. I mean, yeah, they've been given tanks, they've been given armor, they've, but they're very low in ammunition. But the big problem is, is they're being pressured to put an offensive, and what they're facing is the Russian army, who has superior air power, attack helicopters, they, they fire from... Their jets, they fire from their helicopters, they fire from their ships, long-range missiles, and the Ukrainians are sitting ducks. Every time they make a move, they have no they have no air support of their own. They have very limited old big 29s. They're begging for F-16s. How do you fight a war without air support? You just sit there and being led to slaughter. And, you know, it's a half-hearted attempt by NATO and by the U.S., and it's, it's terrible what's going on. Their, their cities are hit every day by Russian missiles. And I, I know. And the thing is, the Ukrainians know what you know, Jeff, and they can't say much because we are the major supplier. And if we, they start being critical, 
knowing that there's already a sentiment here of we're tired of spending money over there, which I, I don't feel that way. I know how worthy this fight is for America's interests, let alone Ukraine's interests. But why we're eventually going to get them F-15s. But why we why we wasted the whole summer without any air cover is absolutely horrendous. Right. You see, imagine the U.S. fighting a war in Iraq or Afghanistan without any air support for their troops. Would, would we do that to our troops? Of course this not. Is, do, you, do you realize, I, by the way, the whole tank thing? We're not even giving them tanks yet. And number two is we have warthogs. We retired the warthogs. They're tank killers. But, but, why don't we just give yeah, them the warthogs? We're giving them Bradley v- armored vehicles. Big deal. They're, they're, they're sitting targets. You know, I've been there. I worked in the refugee center. I hear the stories, and it's making me sick. You can't, you know, you, you're tying their hands behind the back, and you're telling them to go out there to the slaughter. I, and I know behind the, you know, privately they're begging, you know, for the help. But they're being sacrificed, and it's not right what's going on. Uh, you know, Jeff, having said that, I've talked to enough people. They're, they are going to have a major push in maybe the first, second week in August. And I think you'll see some major gains. Uh, because I, mean, I don't think the, the Russians are tough, but they don't have depth. And they lost at minimum 50,000 dead, 200,000 casualties. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.